Okay, Dr. Avi, nice to meet you and welcome to the Healthy Dog Podcast. Thank you for being here today. And I'm welcome. so excited to be here in your clinic in the heart of San Francisco, as mm -hmm. we can hear. It's <laughs> bustling out there. Um, it's been so amazing working with you for the past couple of days here. Dr. Avi, tell everyone that's listening in, tell us more about your practice and mm -hmm. what you actually do at Anatara. Well, I've had this particular practice uh, for about 11 years, Dr. Nigma. yeah. Um, first of all, uh, it's a pleasure hosting you too. Um, and it's also a pleasure hosting naturopathic doctors at our clinic because we believe in naturopathic medicine, as I'll describe in a minute. Um, but I wanted to fuse uh, the best of all forms of medicine. That was the basic sort of premise here. I had a career in the past in academic medicine at the professor level at UC San Francisco and at Johns Hopkins and uh, had plenty of success in that area and worked in global health and got a chance to look at different countries and their style of care. But I thought that we could improve by going to the core, as you put it in all your uh, materials that you have out there, you're an amazing influencer, and I appreciate that. Um, but to get to the core, which is really the name Anatara, means san in, in Sanskrit means core, um, I put seven rings around the logo because I believed in naturopathic medicine, traditional medicine, molecular forms of medicine, uh, we, we now know, for example, the GI genome is, is, is an amazing area of fruitful research going forward. Physical medicine, chiropractic, energy forms of medicine, and oxidative forms, because as you know, we, we are pretty high on ozone therapy as one of the pillars, but using them in a, in a layered approach and using them intelligently and safely. So that was the, the goal was to, to allow people to do what they really want to be doing and do it at, at a level. But most of us are under a great deal of stress. And I can tell you my own story a little bit later, but um, the, stressor, the stressors of today are sort of overwhelming many of us and we need to re regain that balance. You know, it, it's such a beautiful story to hear because I hear so many, so many stories of medical doctors, um, even emergency medicine doctors that have worked in hospitals mm -hmm. and even a, a very good colleague of mine, friend and colleague, Dr. Keith Berkowitz, who I introduced you to yes. <laughs> yesterday. Um, and, you know, how people in your field of medicine, you know, as much as if it's kind of top down care versus bottom up care yes. and, you know, the frustration that you have to go through um, being a conventional medical doctor and, and, and how it's now really pushed you to the point of opening up your own practice right. and offering this to people because there is no one size fits all medicine. There is no, you know, one drug for one person. And that's the kind of motto of the allopathic model approach. And what you're doing is you're adding different layers and different segments and different opportunities and options. And I got to be, I, I was very privileged to be in a meeting consultation with you and a patient yes. yesterday. And the way you approached it versus a convent conventional medical doctor, the patient was in tears of happiness because they are only given one option of what to do 
when they're in crisis, whereas you offering several options. How are your colleagues um, and the general medical community? How how are they? You know, it's a tricky question. Yes. And, you know, how are they reacting to your your new position on how you're offering medicine? Well, it's it's been slow in coming, so to speak. So I left academics permanently in 2015, and um, I I trained my cardiology and immunology fellows um, in in alternative methods, because we already knew quite a lot at that point. Right. I'd already started this clinic five years earlier. And the fellows were embarrassed to, uh, for example, um, uh, write a prescription for vitamin D3 and K2 or CoQ10 for a congestive heart failure, even though we know that both of them are fairly well-documented in the literature as productive things to do, and they were embarrassed. So ultimately, I decided to spend my full attention here. And I have some fellows that sent me patients early on, but it, this didn't really become what I originally thought it would be, and that was an integrative cardiology center. But because of my immunology background, and we all know that inflammation is sort of at the core of almost everything that we perceive as negative on our on our health, you know, and aging. Uh, well, that that's become more of the primary background that I use on a day to day basis. So they're they're slowly some are are, are at are at a point where uh, they they want to learn more and uh, and certain areas more than others. But I think that for the patients. The patients gravitate to this model more easily because the sensible thing is a person says, listen, I want you to personalize it to me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and it seems that that protocol doesn't take me into account. So how, how do I um, navigate that, that model that seems to be a bit older fashioned? We know the word precision medicine. It's been around for a long time. And we know the word system biology, like everything is integrated, everything is related to one another. It's in life too, but certainly in physiology, but, but that hasn't transferred into the, the allopathic system. Yeah, and I scratch my head because there is, you know, naturopathic medicine is science-based medicine that's mm -hmm. safe and effective. And, you know, most patients, as you know, as a, as a cardiologist, that, Statin drugs actually deplete CoQ10 levels. There are studies yes. after studies that are done on that. And what does that depletion of CoQ10 do after a period of time to the heart muscle? I mean, it's it's pretty hard evidence. Why do you think your colleagues are embarrassed? I, I, I'm just curious. So what is your take on, do they feel like it's not science-based enough? Or what is their, where's the disconnect? Because well, I think if we find the cause well, that's, an, that's, yeah. an, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that really is. Um, but when you spend, I think, a total of 27 years in academics uh, and you understand the method of training and the rigor of, at the highest institutions in the country, the rigor is you know every piece of literature out there. And, and so that's almost like a memorization it doesn't require a great deal of synthesis. 
at the same time, unless you're an expert in statistics or epidemiology, it's very difficult to understand the relative importance of any given innovation. So you could say evidence-based medicine is the standard around the world, you know, at least in the developed world. But my colleague, Eric Topol from the Scripps Center, who used to be a colleague of mine back at Johns Hopkins, says it's also called eminence-based medicine because it is the leadership pushing a certain story. And so we had the story of, you know, butter is bad and, and cereals are good. And, and um, at the same time, all the oils that we currently use throughout the country are okay. Well, they're not. They're not okay. And the science is clear, but that's not it presented in double-blinded controlled studies. And one of the disappointments that I had when I entered this integrative medicine field, or some people call it functional medicine field, that includes a naturopathic approach is we don't collate massive amounts of data like is traditionally, that's how you become the standard of care. But our argument against that is that no two of us are the same. So if we can find a little cluster or certain patterns and then we share it amongst ourselves, that then becomes the standard of care. And so, so that's what our meetings are more about. We do share the literature and there is a science basis for all, almost every decision we make. But how we apply it to you specifically is also more of an art form. Interesting. I mean, in around about 2000, the Human Genome Project right. was mapped and um, a lot of, you know, companies, different labs, one being Genova, started coming out with these genomic right. profiles. And I know I was one of the first doctors in Canada to actually talk about genomics and looking at risk factors for disease. You know, that's looking at, to me, that's really looking at personalized medicine mm -hmm. and sort of looking at susceptibility to disease. Um, Dr. Avi, do you use genomics mm -hmm. testing in your practice with patients? And if so, do you do it on every patient or do you, you know, what's your approach to genomic testing? And for those of you who don't know what genomic testing is, is looking at your single nucleotide polymorphisms, which in English means looking at parts of your DNA and looking at susceptibility. So, so you might have a susceptibility of not being able to absorb vitamin D, for example. Right. You may have a susceptibility for not being able to methylate folate. So if we know that in advance, then we know to give you higher doses and to also give you converted uh, vitamins and that you might your needs might be more than someone else and that in and of itself could be you know either a deal break breaker for your overall health right. or it could it, it could help you immensely with your health and wellness so are you are you running these types of tests on patients do you believe in this kind of uh, strategy in terms of assessing patients well yes well the answer to that is yes uh, <laughs> Um, it's a complex story, I think. So I use it for myself to, to gain knowledge in short-term short -term decision-making, mid-term decision-making, but then also giving the patient a long-term map of priority. Because once you personalize, you realize that the majority of our disorders come from epigenetics or the environmental exposures that we have and what we acquire after life, I mean, after we're born. But right. 
the short-term issues are, how am I going to treat you tomorrow or the next week properly and in, in order, in the right order? The short-term issues are, do, you know, do, do I give you 5,000 units of, of vitamin D or do I give you 50,000 units of, of vitamin D to get it up? And that, that's, of course, one of the most common, you know well, that's one of the most common um, genetic mutations that are out there today. Um, but in terms of detoxification, there's uh, almost all of us need to be de detoxified. The question is how quickly. So you, you look at clusters of genes on the detox side. You look at clusters of genes on the inflammatory side. So I look for an area under the curve. Mm -hmm. And then, so for short-term and mid-term sort of decision-making. But then I say, listen, you're now 50 years old, for example. And you believe in this article that was just came out a few weeks ago that 90 will be the new 40, and you believe it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is this is how you have to look at your life in, in a context, almost like a map, and say, listen, in order for me to get across this particular ocean from from 50 to 90 and keep myself together in the way that I really hope it's going to take prioritization and it's going to take you to be diligent in in certain areas more than others. It's just that simply, but that's only 10 to 20% of the story. Some people think it's even less, but uh, I think somewhere in the middle, I cut it at 15% of the story is genomics, but you better know what they are, not only for this drug interacts poorly with that drug for you, because you can run into serious problems, but how the immune system is really is it your strength or is it your weakness? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, are your detox pathways your strength or are they your weakness? Absolutely. Um, and this also helps us explain in terms of being what I call you a master practitioner. Hopefully, I call myself in the same in the same category. But master practitioners need to understand that in order to really individualize. Absolutely, I love the way you explain that. I want to go on the topic of vitamin D because since uh, the pandemic, yes. 2020, um, prior to the pandemic, vitamin D wasn't discussed as much. It was discussed, right. but it wasn't um, very well known in terms of, you know, it being one of the most important vitamins or rather hormones, pro-hormones. We know uh, vitamin D is a pro-hormone. Um, and we're seeing that the the statistics on individuals who ended up with a really bad virus, or rather COVID-19 virus, were individuals that had low vitamin D levels. And there was a massive correlation between the two. Right. Um, what's happening now with vitamin D in the, the, the general allopathic medical community? Is that becoming something that's more looked at with patients? I know, I know you're, you're, you're in our you know, you're in our camp doing functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, right. and utilizing all your amazing skills. But what is it like out there, you know, in the, the conventional medical right. model? Well, I was once asked um, by a public health, um, uh, head of public health, the minister of health in a country, what, what, the, what I could recommend that would be relatively easy to do to increase the health of the entire nation. I said measure vitamin D levels and optimize vitamin D levels. Why? Because as you said, it's it's a pro-hormone. I call it a regulatory hormone okay. because when you're on the low side, 
many, many, many pathways are not working optimally because they just don't have a master. It's almost like a conductor mm -hmm. of certain pathways. And it's integral to immune pathways. So it's hard to stay balanced on the inflammatory side with low vitamin Ds. And this, I thought, would be the, the push that, that we sort of knew right away. Right, I mean, in March of 2020, we knew that vitamin D levels played a role. I wrote pieces on my website as well as sending newsletters out and it was picked up and censored out, even though I was quoting published studies from Europe at the time. So it was disappointing, but it's again, um, it's too simple right. to, to be complex. Right. It's too, it's too simple. To, and so, the, so the allopathic model says, oh, that's just, that's just like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, Oh, it's vitamin C. Who you know, we don't we don't believe in that type of stuff being potent enough. And yet the data are still crystal clear that that populations and individuals that have more optimized levels um uh do do better. And and it's been validated that vitamin D levels are associated with longer life. So what's the problem? Right. I, well, I, so, I don't know what the pro the other problem is, is vitamin D on its own can right. be dangerous. And the reason for that, you know, for those listening is because it can cause calcifications in the right. artery. And you know this as a cardiologist, yes. uh, your background in cardiology. Um, and so we need K1 and K2. Two. So if you are taking a vitamin D, make sure there is K1 and K2 in there because that's going to help increase the absorption, also decrease the amount of calcifications. So I think there's some some information on that because people started then upping their doses on vitamin D um, in a way that could potentially be dangerous long term. Yeah, long term, very long term, yeah. you know, doses well, well above 100 and so on. But there are mm -hmm. studies about... Um, Los Angeles, and I know you're from uh, LA, but LA um, uh, uh, folks that stay at the beach all day, you're the lifeguards. And, and having, during the lifeguard season, having vitamin D levels at 150. But then, of course, they go out of the sun. And, mm -hmm. But that association between sun, sunshine uh, and vitamin D levels are now sort of really off. And it's one yes. of these things of this warning system of uh, that our current stand our current way of living is doing something that's fundamentally warped and and the same would hold true for melatonin so our melatonin levels no longer track circadian rhythms because we have light all day and yes and we don't de-stress at night necessarily or not not in a productive healthy way so to speak so drinking three glasses of wine is not doesn't doesn't you know, it doesn't impact your melatonin levels in, in a proper way, but we have to uh, we have to do what we need to do. But I think that's a great question of why the virus, why the pandemic has not modified every person's every every doctor of of any different fields um, perspective. Uh, I just that's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, and you know. I see it in my patients all the time when they've optimized their vitamin D levels, their, you know, their chances or their risks of forget just COVID-19, any kind of chronic illness is uh, mitigated. Mm -hmm. Even even women with hormonal imbalances, they absolutely need vitamin D. I want to move on to another vitamin that I love very much, and it's vitamin C. 
And this was another one that at the very beginning of the pandemic that China, the Chinese studies showed a lot of patients that were giving intravenous vitamin C uh, to help. And those individuals that received the vitamin C intravenously actually had lower uh, cases of mortality. Uh, can you explain that? Can you explain that? And, and they were using it with steroids because the steroids right. are allowing the entrance of the vitamin C into the cells. Can you explain what's going on with the vitamin C and, and people who are reducing more mortality rates? Right. So as you know, the first wave of, uh, of illness that came to the United States from Europe mm -hmm. happened in March of 2020. And um, we had data already from Europe and we had data already from China. So we sort of knew that the, one, one of the hypotheses was that early on, if you're going to get sick, you know, of course, there are predisposing features like I already have diabetes, I already have hypertension, I already have cognitive dysfunction or whatever. I have, I have some predisposition, but given the fact that it works on this ACE2, ACE2 receptor, receptor, which is well understood, mm -hmm. like vitamin D, the ACE2 receptor is responsible for multiple pathways throughout the body. Well, we, we understood that the higher your viral load was and the more you were, had an exaggerated immune reaction so that elicited more of this cytokine storm thing, the worse you would do early. Uh, some folks would get over the virus and just, just be done with it. But some folks, particularly with those predispositions, and age had somewhat to do with it, but it's not age. It's really the, the elder, more elderly you, you are in the United States, the more comorbidities you have. So anything that would be anti-inflammatory is fundamental to that early stage. Um, and ant anything that would be antiviral would be early stage. So steroids work by being the broad immunosuppressants, mm -hmm. but have ne negative side effects if used long-term. But short-term was shown by, uh, by many groups in the United States that were very brave in coming out with new protocols. Um, uh, use them successfully. But vitamin C per se or sodium ascorbate is an antioxidant and antioxidants should have become the public health message of the day. Mm -hmm. Take your antioxidants, get your antioxidant stores up right away, not only vitamin D, but vitamin C and so on and, and repair your gut. Of course, you're, you're the expert in that area. But the reason vitamin C worked is because it not only has antiviral qualities or antimicrobial qualities, it also has this the ability to buffer the inflammatory signaling molecules elicited in this viral stage. And the fact is COVID-19 is very good as a pro-inflammatory signaler because once you suppress that receptor, a lot of cascades, which as you know, all these pathways have multiple, multiple messages going in. They're, they're not regulated as normally as, as we would like. So chaos can ensue in any given pathway, whether it was inflammatory or it was quite, so the lung would be purely inflammatory. Um, the, the coagulation system though was a secondary, almost um, an innocent bystander effect. Right. Uh, because all these all these 
pro-inflammatory things are going in the blood and eventually it clots the blood. So, but then over time, you then have people who leave or, or, or are good enough to, to, to survive. Then we have the long-term effects. The long-term effects are, for whatever reason, we have many more people with COVID Produce, producing autoimmune sequelae over time. So we know that during the hospitalization, you have a lot of antibodies against your own body that, that are formed, and in most people, they dissipate. But in some folks, again, that have some kind of chronic trigger, it continues. And so if you, whatever you do first, if you can reduce the viral load in your nose, uh, uh, in, your, right. in your throat, and and so on, um, even even with the drug Paxlovid, you know, that was the goal of it, the right. goal, goal, or whether it's a monoclonal antibody or whether it was um, neutralizing antibodies from people who, who have already survived, then you'll get not only less risk of, of really having a very serious condition, but you'll have less risk going forward of an autoimmune state. And... You know, we're seeing a lot of long COVID right now. Yes. And I know this is, if if anyone listening to this podcast, this is a clinic to come to if you have long COVID, because I personally work with patients with long COVID, but you have so many more tools in your toolbox here. You have an incredible team. I've been getting treatments from your team and, and, and your doctors here, your naturopathic doctor um, and your nurses have been amazing. I mean, you have the most cutting edge protocols I've ever seen and uh, ever come across. And I, I've only had one day of treatments, but I, I literally feel <laughs> uh, I had COVID in June. And of course, as you know, I've been working on myself and my body to get better. But um, I spent the whole day here yesterday <clears throat> seeing patients and getting treatments. I mean, I feel like I'm in luxury here, L uh, luxury wellness heaven. Um, you treat a lot of patients with long COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of success rate? Okay, first of all, let's start off with: Are you seeing a ton of people with long COVID? Because I know I am. Can you can you tell me about the kinds of patients you're seeing? What kind of symptoms they're experiencing? What is actually long COVID for those listening out there? Well, long COVID is a series of probably a hundred plus symptoms that that are lagging the phase when you know that the virus is no longer there. For example long COVID after COVID, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the virus can't be measured by any measure whatsoever in most of us after 10 to 14 days, but 28 days for certain. But how come I still have lingering symptoms? The most common symptoms are fatigue and what we call brain fog, which is and, and gut disturbances. Absolutely. So the gut disturbance is a gut leak. It's an inflammatory signal. The brain uh, fog is a brain leak. It's an inflammatory signal. Um, and fatigue is an immunological signal that you, you have too much. You, you aren't buffering enough of these signaling molecules. You haven't sort of rebalanced it yet. Now, there are many hypotheses as to why, why this is, why when you get long COVID, it looks a lot like long immunization so it looks like it looks a lot like patients who who don't have covid but have have had side effects from the immunizations that 
are now being documented in our databases and so on. But that's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but in all cases, I think both with immunizations as well as with COVID, one major hypothesis is that the spike protein, whether it's from the virus itself or it's from the immunization, is lingering and can be found in different organs. And then the question is, is how is that perpetuating an ongoing immune reaction? Now, what we can say is that most of the people that come in with long COVID do recover. And if you'd have, you know, a semi-intelligent approach uh, and not just study it and, and, and document it, because a lot of the centers around the world are, do, are doing that, but they're not necessarily treating people, but mm -hmm. uh, the, they may treat their D-dimer, which is a coagulation marker with um, low- Which we're with, seeing a lot of elevation yeah. in, aren't yeah. we? And they'll treat that with, with yeah. the appropriate medications. But that doesn't get to, again, to the core and how to modulate the immune system back down. So we have had, I think right now, it's the majority of our patients right now coming to the clinic. Right. So, and um, that's unusual for us because we, we're open to every type of illness, including having world-class athletes here just optimizing. But we have to learn from each of these populations what we already really know in different language that unless you have your your skin together, your gut together, you know, your 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 inflammatory cascade together, your detox pathways together, what you put into your body and how you exit it. Mm -hmm. Unless you have that, you can't possibly be well. It's not possible no. to to manifest wellness without these boxes being checked. So you might as well go to a naturopathic doctor who's trained fundamentally from the beginning like that or come to an MD office like, like ours or go to outstanding centers around the world and get to see a, a neurologist, a cardiologist, a GI specialist. You still won't get an answer. <laughs> and you, you're unlikely to get the, the full answer that'd be satisfying because it's not meant to be described in that way. For coming from academics and coming really from a molecular perspective, I had an NIH-sponsored lab in molecular immunology, okay? So my specialty is post-viral immunity. So this is the area that, and I predicted that this would happen in March of 2020, and that was also taken down. Um, but when you come from that environment, you realize that you can use all that material. There's no reason not to. You know, I, I use steroids when I need to use them, and, and, and they've been a life-saving therapy for many patients. But to ignore the, the rest of it is at your peril because this is the biggest instigator that we've ever seen in our lifetime. This, If you pass the test, like my 24-year-old son, he, he was completely asymptomatic, but to go to finish university had to be tested with PCR testing every week. He knew he was positive, no symptoms, none. So he passed the immunological stress test. Right. But if you have some symptoms, okay, you're mild and it goes away and whatever. Uh, but if you're, you don't feel well after a month, you, you fail, you fail. You, yeah. you, you're not there. 
It's almost like a, a bad hair day, for example. <laughs> if you have had a horrible night's sleep, you didn't eat well the night before, drank too much alcohol, you know, whatever, you were exposed to toxins, whatever it could be. The next day, you're in contact with someone who has a high viral count, COVID-19, you're going to possibly get it and have symptoms. Right. If you've slept really well, you've eaten well, you've gotten treatments yeah. from your clinic, there's no way that this can touch you. And I know that for a fact because I see it in my patients. And and it's the same thing if you add insult and assault to the body constantly and you're exposed to the virus, it can attack you really badly because it's a very opportunistic and manipulative virus. And I've never seen anything like it, you know, how it evades the immune system and, and hides and becomes dormant, comes back. You know, it's, it's a very, it's very interesting. Um, and, and it's more not, not so much the virus, but it's so interesting how our bodies are responding to the virus. And I know you treat a lot of not just long COVID, you treat a lot of chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. And you also treat a lot of Hollywood is now flocking to your clinic. Um, I know you're very low key. You're, yes. you're not really advertising or marketing what you do. And um, it, it's it's incredible because the work you do here is like a one stop shop. You can get literally treated any chronic illness, hair loss, uh, fatigue, um, you know, loss of stamina. Uh, what are these? I know you can't say who you see, and mm -hmm. I know we as doctors, we can't say some of our celebrity clients unless they voluntarily uh, say something. Right. Um, what are you doing for these Hollywood people? What, what are they asking for? Are they asking for eternal youth or are they not feeling good? Are they not being diagnosed properly by the conventional docs? What are you seeing? Um, I think the, the thing that I can respond to is... Listen, I'm 50, I'm 60. I want to maintain this level of energy and this level of passion and this level of commitment to my work. And some of them say till 80, some of them 70, something, <laughs> some, some say till 90. And, yeah. and with, with their certain ones in Hollywood, we, we sort of say, oh, these people are, are just living the high life. No, they're working, they're working exceptionally difficult hours and, and they have amazing amount of discipline. And they have no shortage of help. But again, if uh, the, the, way, the way we sort of grab them and keep them is by synthesizing the information into one sort of story. And then they go out into the world as they do. And they use that story to, to help make the day-to-day -day decisions. But I think what, what is rational when you hit, when you hit my age is I want to maintain, I, and yeah, of course, I want to go back in time. Uh, I I want to reverse aging, but that is profoundly difficult to do, uh, and takes it's a half time job to do that. But but you can look amazing, and you can feel amazing, and and maintain it for long periods of time. And and what I tell everyone is, when you wake up in the morning and feel great, and you feel really great and good and like some people say perfect that's a massive blessing Absolutely. and if you can maintain that for let's say a year or two years that's that is that's huge, gold yeah. that's gold um and then something happens you get some stress level that your child gets ill 
your grandkid mm -hmm. gets ill or something like that, or the contract didn't flow right, or something happened and you have to adjust and then you're sensitive to what that means in your body. Because for example, with the virus, un it has unearthed activation of viruses that are there, but right. have no symptoms at all. <laughs> so the Epstein-Barr virus, the cytomegalovirus, the, the mycoplasma and so on. And But the number one thing that it's unearthed is mold intoxication. So people, right. there's a wide variation of gen genetic susceptibility, but I could be in a moldy building and not have any symptoms until I catch the virus and then right. the symptoms emerge and then you have to deal with it. Now, one of the things that's funny when you become a naturopath or you go into this field of functional medicine, you realize how many toxins we have so when you measure it, you realize that probably half the entire population in the United States has toxic mold in their body. And that's not bad for, it's not sort of super bad for certain people because they have the, the, the pathways to deal with it. But your partner may be mm -hmm. really ill and you don't feel very much. But at the same time, it's never a good thing to have a toxin, a biological toxin in your system now. COVID is a biological toxin. It's not just the virus. The spike protein is a biological toxin because it can way. emerge other things. And, and for that really means, what it really means to me is you're, you're aging in an accelerated fashion relative to the way you could. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna look different the next day, but f five years later, 10 years later, your, your system will be annoyed that it had to be deflected for all that period of time to manage something that should have been exited a long time ago. Absolutely. And our cellular communication is so important. And as we, you know, get older, our cellular communication diminishes. And if we add insult to injury, we're adding, you know, more of these insults, these viruses, you know, and it, as you said, yes, it triggers individuals who get COVID. You see their Epstein-Barr virus antibodies levels start right. to, 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 to rise. It's kind of like almost like a um, gangs get together, the virus gangs, you know, <laughs> like the COVID-19 stirs up all the other gang right. members and says, hey, guys, I'm back. I'm the new kid on the block. Here I am. And it reactivates all the other viruses. So and it, you know, viruses are are massive um, damage to our cells and they but, can cause but, but premature aging. But there's also good news here, okay? Yes. Look at you. You live a healthy, very healthy lifestyle, okay? Yes. Then you get hit and then it, it sort of resettles on a lower level and you say, well, wait a second. I, I got treated literally just one day. It was mm -hmm. all day. It was all day. <laughs> it yes. was a five-hour you know, stack of IVs, but um, uh, but you went to bed last night feeling amazing, and you, you were tired. Fatigue, yes. I told you, was not was to be expected. Yes. But in the morning, oh, you, know, you feel I feel clearer. I feel a little. Yeah, everything's a little bit better. And if you go back to that lifestyle, then you're actually you'll be better off than you were before the virus. Absolutely. Which is the goal. I mean, not not to maintain, but but to use it as a as a tool yes. to get better than you were before and say, listen, you know, I'm not going to eat my Cheetos at night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not going to do it anymore because I don't want to. Yeah. I know 
that I'm responsible for my own health. Absolutely. And once you know what it feels like to feel good, cool. a lot of people don't know what it feels like to feel optimal. And I've seen this in my 20 years of practice now. Patients say to me, Doc, I didn't know I could feel this good. good. You know, um, and you know, if you know you're going to live so long, you know, you got to take care of yourself because this is not about living long. This is about living a quality right. life. You don't want to wake up every morning with headaches and, you know, and live till you're 90 with headaches. It's not not a way to live. And coming to a center like this where you have so many tools right. in your toolbox, um, it's incredible. And the type of IVs you're using and the kind of... Uh, education, the kind of um, research that you've had to do to put these together. I'm, you know, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing this knowledge with me. So then I can also go back to my clinic and share with my patients and, you know, use you as a resource. And, you know, I, I'm just so grateful to have met you. And I'm so happy that I've had you on my podcast today. I think we're out of time yes. here, but this has been super interesting. I hope you'll come back and speak to us more about um, what you're doing in the future. But anybody in the San Francisco area or in California or anywhere part of the world, I know a lot of patients fly in to yes. come and see you. Um, please come and see Dr. Avi and um, let us know how you're doing. And thank you, Dr. Nigma, for coming and experiencing it because we, we love folks who are master practitioners who come in to, to see us and teach us too. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you.